My name is Braden Quijan. You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Hey there, Emerald Podcast listeners. This is Francisca Monahan, the senior podcast editor of the Daily Emerald. I'm here today with Noah McGraw, our senior news editor. Hey, how's it going? And we're just going to go over the big headlines from the term. So this is our news wrap-up podcast for the whole term. Uh, so Noah, where do you want to start out? I think a good story to start out with is the the first real big story of the term, which started out basically before students even got here. And that's about the lead in the dorm water. So students, before they got here, they got an email that said, hey, before you move in, you have to know that you can't drink the water in your dorms and you can't take a shower in your dorm. You can't do anything with the water in the dorm. So uh, because there had been uh, elevated levels of lead in all of the water fixtures in Bean, Hamilton, Barnhart, and Walton. And uh, they were above the EPA-recommended lead levels. So EPA recommends you have 15 parts per billion lead in water, which is really not very much. And then they tested several of the fixtures and found that like a ton of them were over 30 BP, uh, ppbs and then uh like some of them were at 60 um 75 some stuff like that they found the worst one that we could find uh that they released the report several months later but the worst one they found was in barnhart which was at 229 ppb which is 15 times the recommended epa lead levels but what they did was they went by each uh, fountain, each sink and everything, and they had these little filters on the end that are these like little metal uh, crosshatch filters, and that's what had been collecting lead and making it like worse. So they just changed all the filters and then flushed out the lead, and they found like the one that was at 229, they flushed it out, it went down to three. So <laughs> then uh, they fixed them all in uh, Hamilton and Bean pretty fast, they said Walton was going to take a bit longer, and I'm uh, Barnhart and Walton. I'm pretty sure they're they're good to go now. So. Well, that's a relief. Then that sounds like a pretty easy fix. I know that there was some other lead in water issues in Eugene with like elementary schools. Um, I don't I don't know if that's related. Um, it sounds like like it was University of Oregon sort of centered problem with just the filters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe they all decided to go check them at the same time and realize they'd been wrong. So I mean. They hadn't checked those in years, so uh, when we put the story out, we got a lot of comments of people saying, like, oh, great, I was in Hamilton last year, and I was probably drinking lead in my water, because they don't test them every year, so they don't know how long it was. Yeah, I read in the first article, I think, that um, different establishments have, like, their own sort of requirements for l- testing lead, and the University of Oregon doesn't really fall under any sort of um, regular testing requirements. Yeah, right. It's voluntary that they do it. Maybe there will be a more regular one now. Okay, moving on. We got some pretty big news about a certain grant or gift that we got, correct? Yeah, the biggest gift ever given to a public university. That's for the Knight campus when Phil Knight and Penny Knight gave $500 million in a single donation to the university, uh, which is the biggest, yeah, the biggest single donation to a public university. There have been bigger ones for private universities and international universities, but this is the single biggest one to a 
public university. So what's this gift being used for? It's for the new science complex, the Knight Campus for Accelerating Scientific Impact. Uh, <clears throat> it's a science-based uh, campus. They're calling it a campus rather than a complex because it's several buildings wide. It's going to extend across Franklin. Uh, I heard there was rumors of a sky bridge going across Franklin. Um, they announced it as a surprise, sort of. They just threw up a website for it uh, at 9 p.m. one night, and uh, it had a full, like, full description of all the different facilities that are going to be in there. There's going to be tons of really high-tech uh, science equipment. And uh, the goal is, yeah, scientific impact. So they want this really, like, practical scientific knowledge coming out of the university now. And they want to compete with other more science-based universities like OSU, which has an engineering program that U of O doesn't and things like that. So they're not necessarily opening. But in the talks, they thought about uh, a med school and things like that, but they didn't want to cross paths too sharply with the university. But... Uh, Majors are, you know, people are consistently picking more science-based majors as college gets more expensive. They want these really specialized degrees that they're coming out of. And, uh, yeah, so science has been a big part of that. And this uh, campus was the university kind of saying, how can we really stand out as a flagship university in Oregon? So Franklin's a pretty crowded street. It's a pretty busy street next to campus, for those of you who don't know. Um, is stuff going to have to be moved? That's I really wanted to know. Uh, the first thing I asked when we learned about where it was going to be is uh, what's going to happen to the Domino's Pizza across the street. Most Mostly because they had just opened that and remodeled that entire thing in like like the, the year before. Um, it's unclear about what's going to have to move and where that is actually going to sit. There's also an Indian restaurant uh, down there. Oh, yeah. Evergreen. Evergreen. Love that place. And it seems like they might have to move. Um, but we I couldn't find a rep for uh, Domino's Pizza in Eugene, so I didn't bother calling the uh, head <laughs> head Domino's and see if they knew about this one restaurant in Eugene. But uh, it, it is a big, big idea. You know, what I want to see is them integrating a Domino's into a science complex. <laughs> but who knows? Yeah, so that'll be um, – construction for that will be taking place over the next 10 years. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be long gone mm -hmm. um, before we can find out what happens to Domino's. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, so going on. Um, so across from campus, uh, we have this establishment called Taylor's Bar and Grill. It's a popular place to go for students, and it was in the news quite a bit this term. Uh, you want to kind of go over that a little? Yeah, I really don't know where all these stories started coming from uh, Taylor's has been infamous sort of for its the huge crowds it gets on Saturdays and and Fridays and for Thursdays dollars. too is like Thursday is like a really big <laughs> like packed Taylor day I'm like and still school man gotta be big on Wednesdays too with dollars so they got like half the week is dedicated to Taylor's and always tons of people um but yeah we wrote about Taylor's four times over the course of this one term uh for different sort of the dark side of Taylor's and late night bars. But uh, uh, early in the term, there were two reports of women saying they were drugged at Taylor's and the police looked into that. They didn't really, they, they were just saying that they were looking into it. I don't think they've actually found anything at this point, 
except that a week or two later, uh, a bartender was accused by one uh, another woman of drugging his drink, her drink, multiple times at a different bar he worked at, and then uh, doing it again at uh, Taylor's. He works at the back bar. Taylor's actually has two bars in it. The, and he worked in the back. He was suspended, and they're still looking into it at this point. But that caused a huge stir. The GTFF, the Graduate Teaching uh, Foundation, the Graduate Teaching Fellows Foundation. Uh, spoke out, issued a public letter condemning the actions of the bartender and asking for the President Schill to condemn his actions and ask, like, I think they wanted him to normalize, like, say this isn't normal, this isn't okay, and uh, speak as a safety measure for all students. Uh, He hasn't done that yet. That's an interesting uh, request to make. I mean, Taylor's it is highly associated with the university, but it's not. It's its own private business outside of the university. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think he didn't really have anything to say. But I think they wanted him to sort of speak on uh, creating a safe campus environment. And if people hear about these things happening at Taylor's, like the more people you can come out and say this isn't okay, then it might address other issues that we see around campus in terms of like dating violence and things like that. I think that's what they were sort of going through. But that wasn't the last Taylor's debacle. Because oh then a few weeks later, we got a bunch of re- reports, people saying that they'd been overcharged at their credit card. Their credit cards were overcharged at Taylor's when they would tip or when they wouldn't tip. They would just, Taylor's would add a few dollars on to whatever they tipped. And uh, we got some photo evidence of people's bank account statements showing them being charged more than what they'd written on their receipts and things like that. And uh, so a Taylor's manager said it was just an accident that things get really hectic late at night and uh, some receipts get wet, so it's hard to tell exactly what someone is uh, trying to tip, Um, but that it was all an accident and they refund people's money. So people we interviewed, um, a woman we interviewed who said she'd been overcharged, said she later went in to Taylor's and they just gave him her $5 to pay back for over-tipping her. Uh, But then after the story went out and it got thousands of views, uh, you look in the comments and there are tons of people just saying, I knew this was happening, like I always suspected it kind of thing. So it seems like a pretty widespread issue. And, you know, Taylor's is evidently having a very rough term, (laughs) if uh, emerald-wise, media coverage-wise. Yeah, they um, did they they were declined to comment to the Emerald a couple of times, didn't they? They declined to comment for the drugging cases for the Emerald. We had reporters go in and have like really pleasant conversations with the bartender, and then someone said, "By the way, I work for the Emerald," and they said, "Okay, you have to leave." <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, but they did comment, and we we had long conversations about the overcharging things. Uh, not since the article came out, but um, they were happy to address that one. That's good. Um, But there are many other bars in the University of Oregon vicinity. Anyways, moving on. um, The election was a huge, huge source of news. um, I mean, for the months leading up to it. And now, um, basically, every single news source is just filled with the election. Um, And on campus, we actually had quite a few things that happened that were very newsworthy. Um, It sparked uh, a lot of controversy, protests, and new policies coming into play as well. Yeah, so 
the day, like Tuesday night, when the results were announced, um, a bunch of people started walking around Eugene, and it started with uh, a guy in a, carrying a, a boombox playing the YG song, F Donald Trump, and uh, a bunch of people just started sort of like walking with him, and uh, it was a few, I believe they were University of Oregon students. And then pretty soon, people were just walking around campus, and there were a ton of people walking around campus, hundreds. And then they moved on to 13th, and pretty soon it was, you know, probably a 1,000 people. Uh, it's hard to tell when they were so spread out, but they all sort of came together and were walking, and the police came out to sort of make sure everything was okay. Uh, and they marched all the way downtown and then back to the uh, EMU Amphitheater to sort of voice their you know, frustration at the results of the election. And then after that night, there was a protest almost every single day that week in some capacity, either starting downtown and moving to the EMU or starting at the EMU and moving downtown. But those were the two main areas where things would happen. And we had protests during the day where like 500 high school students from South Eugene High School walked out of their classes and walked to the EMU. And then there were several other protests, um, rallies by uh, the Black Student Union and things like that in the same week that all were sort of stemming from this reaction to the election. Yeah, I um, I was actually just standing and watching um, outside at the EMU Amphitheater and there was another sort of protest or just sort of talk that was happening, an impromptu talk that was happening among students, um, university students, and then all of a sudden, like, there was this loud noise coming from down 13th and this huge crowd of people just came walking up with signs. And my first initial thought was like, wow, freshmen look really young now, but <laughs> um, ended up being South Eugene. And then they joined. It was kind of really cool to watch. Like the two protests like kind of joined forces and then like they all kind of like swirled together in the amphitheater and then walked out and down mm -hmm. 13th again. Um, but that night, unfortunately, there was another incident with a South Eugene high school student on our campus yeah, uh, a reaction to, I think, both the protests, the election, and the earlier uh, professor dressing in blackface incident, because later that night there were a uh, uh, BSU um, member was walking home from a meeting, and right outside of Lillis, there were uh, three very young people wearing blackface and just standing there and kind of... she. You can see the video. They're putting it on while they're there. And uh, she asked them if they're... She's like, you know I'm filming you. And they're like, yeah, that's totally fine. And uh, w one of them turned out to be a South Eugene High School student. And the uh, none of them were affiliated with the University of Oregon in any way. And I'm assuming they wanted to voice some sort of protest about the blackface thing. Um or just make people upset or something. And it combined it with a bunch of the other fellow South Eugene High School students going to the EMU and uh, the talks about the resignation of Nancy Schertz, the law professor who wore blackface. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, backtrack a little and talk about that because that was a really big headline that happened. Um, I know uh, we've had another podcast about blackface on campus um, that you guys should check out under podcasts at dailyemerald.com or on our SoundCloud, which is Emerald Media. But anyways, yeah, can we backtrack to that a little bit? Yeah, that was maybe the most, like, 
fiery explosive sort of reaction that um, we got out of any event that happened on campus this term. Um, uh, law professor Nancy Schertz went, hosted her own party, a Halloween party, and she dressed up as a black man in a, in a doctor's jacket, but she wore a blackface and she was emulating like her, a book she'd just read that she really liked that was about how there are very few African Americans in the health community. Uh, but there was a picture of her wearing the blackface and immediately president show released a statement condemning it. Um, and so like most people's first, uh, the first time they heard that it had happened was when we all got an email from the president condemning it. And then since then there was, there've been tons of reactions. There's a petition signed by thousands of people asking for her resignation. There is also a petition asking that she not be fired, uh, the reversal of that. And then the, there's law school faculty issued a statement saying they wanted her to retire and things like that. So that was the biggest reaction. And that was where um, the BSU was mostly coming from with their rally on campus following that. Yeah, so it was a very active term for activism on campus, um, both protests against the election and reactions to the blackface incidents. Um, and so that's also led to some talk about new policies concerning protests. Yeah, this is a this is a really important story that I think kind of snuck by because um, we talked about it the day of uh, the announcement that uh, Nancy Schertz had wore blackface. And so everyone is sort of caught up with that. But the U of O will be enacting a new protest policy called time, place and manner that restricts when where and how protests can be held on campus. It's mostly a reaction. They announced it before any of the blackface or the election happened. It's mostly a reaction to Divest UO, which happened last year, where students sat in on uh, in Johnson Hall. And in uh, President Schill's words, they disrupted the daily activities of Johnson Hall. And so uh, a lot of other schools have this. It basically means you have to clear your protests with the university before you can do it. And I don't exactly know what the response is if you don't clear, though, because so far none of those have been cleared. And it is an interesting sort of conflict when you, you may be protesting something like Divest UO that's against the university, but you have to ask them before you can protest. Well, technically, Divest UO is against the UO Foundation, which is separate from the university. True. Um but yeah, I mean, considering that came out before the election and then we had all of these protests that happened after the election and the university was like very encouraging of it. I, I noticed like I talked to um, I talked to a University of Oregon communications person um, on the phone a little bit and they gave a statement about how they were, especially after the blackface. It was after the blackface incident with the South Eugene High School students and they were saying that um it was, they were very proud, the university has been very proud of how students have been reacting to the election and how they've been expressing their feelings um, and how they reacted to that particular incident that was caught on video. Um, yeah, I, I find it surprising that we haven't heard, I mean, yeah, I find it surprising that we haven't heard more about this policy, but then, I mean, there hasn't been much of a conflict caused by it yet either. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so far the protests that have happened this year have all been really um, peaceful and they worked with the university. Uh, the uh, Black Student Union one was more of a rally and less of a protest, but Schill himself showed up there and spoke at it. And um, all the police have been really cooperative with the protests. And we talked to an officer during the first night who said, yeah, this is exactly what you should do when you're upset. So, But the, the policy, I think, I mean, other schools have similar policies. OSU has a policy about when and where you can protest. It's um, it's interesting. The faculty senate will be talking about it soon and seeing whether or not it infringes on any free speech rights. But right now, they, um, the timeline is that it's within the next four months of when Jill announced it. So three months from now, they're going to decide something official. That's the council will decide something official. And then after that, um, if they don't have an official policy planned, then Shill will enact his own temporary one until they do. So whether or not it happens, well, whether or not they agree on something, something is going to change within the next four months. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see um, how that discussion about free speech kind of plays out because I know that the university has been accused of not having the greatest free speech policies. Um, the fire.org, which is um, foundation for individual rights in education, gives the university a, uh, a red, it, it's, it's code rating is a, is red. Yeah. Right. Um, which means that it's not great here uh, mm -hmm. for free speech. So it'll be interesting to see how those discussions are carried out in the next couple of months. Yeah, it's very interesting. And this university has always been a place for protesting, like historically. Uh, you see, I remember my freshman year, tons of protests about the GTF strike and things like that. There was all going, going on. And uh, I mean, I don't think that history will stop. I think what they're trying to do is sort of contain it a little bit, which is yeah, a more gray argument less of black and white in terms of free speech so it'll be really interesting to see where that goes yeah so that wraps up our podcast for today we covered the biggest headlines of the term this is our last news wrap-up podcast for about a month since it will be winter break um again i'm francisco monahan the senior podcast editor at the daily emerald I'm Noah McGraw, the senior news editor at the Emerald. You can follow me on Twitter at Franny Monahan. You can follow me at McNoah McGraw. Um, thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Yeah.